0: Okay, so when I was a kid, I was a very emotional kid. I'm still an emotional adult, but I was more so an emotional kid. And uh, it was bad. I was known as that kid who would just lose it on you and half cry, half scream at you. Okay, and so that was me as a kid. It happened all the time. It probably happened every couple of weeks, and it was usually on the playground where this would go down. I remember this one time when I was playing like pickup baseball at lunch recess and I was going to catch a ball and I and I stood in front of the base and I still remember the kid's name who did this, Ryan, and he just lays me out because I'm staying in front of the base. This was back when you, that was a legal baseball rule, and I'm just dead. And I was already on the nerdy kid's team, so all the cool kid team was just laughing like, eh, Anthony, you weak, and, and all this stuff. So I get up. I'm already starting to feel emotional. Usually I'd fly off the handle by now, but then the bell rings, And everybody starts walking to class, and Ryan's walking to class, and I'm kind of following him, just going, why'd you do that, man? And just like crying, yelling, like, hey, that kind of hurt, and all of this stuff. And then everybody, and then listen, you're probably like, oh, little first grade Anthony. No, this was seventh grade. OK, so in seventh grade. I'm following this guy to his classroom all of seventh grade. And this is the moment I lost any chances to date a girl in junior high. And they're all lined up to go into their classrooms. And I'm just yelling at Ryan. I'm like, come at me, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, I wish you didn't. But and I'm just like crying and confused. And he's like, listen, man, I'm just that's the rule in baseball. You can't block the plate." And I'm like, man, this isn't the World Series, man. This is our school. Like, and just like just losing it. And when I would have these emotional outbursts, I just hated, about, hated it about myself because it would happen so much where Anthony would fly off the handle, he would cry, and kids would be like, hey, Anthony cried about this or did this. And I would, ha- and I would just feel the shame of like, why aren't any of the other kids feeling this deeply? Or why aren't any of the other kids as sensitive as me? And, and I, I didn't get it. But as I got older, I came to the Bible, and I began to read these stories about these Bible characters and in their tough moments of life. And what I began to see is that these Bible characters, they had emotional outbursts like I did. And it was maybe even worse there would be guys like David in the Bible who killed Goliath. He would something bad would happen to him, and his response would not be like "I got to get another slingshot." His response would often be like, Aah! "And he'd rip his clothes off." It says, "I never went. I never ripped my shirt off yelling at kids." And so David would rip his clothes off, and he'd just like walk about the people, walk in the city, or walk around his his army men, and he would just scream and cry. And I was like good, there are some people that have these kind of outbursts like me. Unfortunately, they're in the Bible and not at my school. But that's what I began to realize. And then as I got even older, what I realized is that these same guys that would have these emotional outbursts, they would write down some of these emotional things. Like in Psalm 6, 6 and 7, we read the whole, basically the whole psalm earlier. But look what it says here. In verse 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Look how dramatic David is being. He's like, I'm crying so hard, God, my eye's going to fall out and dry up like he's saying some crazy things there and so I would read these psalms and realize that they wrote down their emotional outbursts and as I got older I realized that these psalms were categorized as something called laments and if you just walked up to someone on the street and said what is a lament they would say this it's like a passionate expression of your pain or your sorrow but the Bible takes laments and and they take it a step for a step further Laments in the Bible are this moment where you do passionately express your pain or or sorrow, but to God. Like, David is saying these things to God. And today, I want to talk about prayer as lament. I want to talk about this idea that we could pray to God in a way that brings our pain and our sorrow and our sadness, and we lay it before him, that we say it to him. That we say things that you normally wouldn't say in your small group or your redemption community. That you can lay it before God. And the reason I want to talk about prayer as lament today is because so often, recently, in recent months, and talking to Vince and talking to some other leaders in our church, we're sitting down with people and they start to share their story. And their story of what they've been through recently is just full of pain, it's full of sorrow. It's full of hurt. And most of these people are like, I don't know what to do with what I'm feeling. And so my hope today is to give us something that the scriptures give us that we can do with our pain and our sorrow and our sadness. And it's to lament. It's to direct these laments to God. And so I hope that this sermon encourages us, whether you're emotional or not, full of suffering right now or not, to begin to lament and enter into a deeper relationship with God at one in which you lament more. And so for those of you that, that like structure, today we're going to talk about uh, basically three things. The first thing we're going to talk about is why should we lament? And then the second thing that we're going to talk about it's going to be, what does lament look like in the Bible? That's like the second part of my sermon. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it do in the Bible? And then I want to take some time and look at things that I want us as a church to specifically lament together. So some specific things that we can lament as a church, and I think it would be good for us as God's people to lament. Okay? So first, we're going to talk about why we should lament why we should lament. We're going to spend some time here. And there's kind of like two little categories under it, under this or two reasons why we should lament. And the first reason I think we should lament is because of this. It's something called hedonism. Hedonism in our world, if you just looked at the dictionary definition, it means the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of self-gratification. And The reason I want us to talk about lament in a way uh, that leads us to hedonism is because I think most people in this room, you are pursuing pleasure. You, day in, day out, you're probably pursuing happiness. That's what you're trying to do with every action you, you take. Maybe not all of them, but that is your ultimate goal. But I think that lament, we can access a different kind of hedonism that is good for us. John Piper is a famous pastor, and he coined this phrase, Christian hedonism. And he, the, the basic idea, his premise, the way he defines it is this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so I think that when we lament, there is a pleasure to be gained, a comfort to be had in God. And I think too often we make this Christianity thing just a march forward in which we try to look more and more like Jesus. And we bear that burden of trying to look perfect. And I think we need to look like Jesus. But I think sometimes what we cast to the side is that God offers himself to us. That's the good news of the gospel. That even though we're messy and broken, God offers himself to us now. And in God are pleasures forevermore. That's what one of the other psalms say. In God, there is contentment to be found. There is joy to be had. And so the reason I want you to lament is because I think that when we lament, we can find more pleasure out of life in our relationship with God. Here's what I think it looks like. I'm going to tell you another embarrassing story because it's the least embarrassing story of the ones I thought of. And... When I was 17, my first serious girlfriend, she broke up with me. And uh, it was at youth group, um, dirty, and messed up. So I come back from youth group, and I'm crying, and I'm hurt. And uh, I, I go to my room, and I'm crying. My pa- I think my siblings kind of told my parents, like, yeah, that girl broke up with him. He is, he's ugly. And, and all this stuff. They didn't say that. But uh, they told my parents, And up until this point, me and my mom's relationship had been strained. And it had been strained just because of my sin. And that was the only reason we had a strained relationship. And so I'm crying in my bedroom. I'm laying there crying over this girl who did me dirty. I'm still bitter. And I'm not. And uh, my mom comes in and she sits down and she just sits with me for a minute. And then she starts talking to me. And then she starts saying things to me. And I'm still feeling so much pain. She's just comforting me and she's just saying that girl wasn't good enough for you anyway baby and like all of this stuff that my mom is saying to me and this weird dichotomy happened in my heart in that moment is on the one hand I still felt so much pain from from this lost love but then on the other hand I felt extremely comforted by my mom and our relationship opened up in a way that had not ever opened up before and there was like a closeness. And to this day, I have a much deeper intimacy with my mom simply because she came into my room and she let me lament to her. She let me cry and say how, how bad it hurt and how I felt and how I, all of these things. And I think with God, we can do the same thing. I think that when we lament to God, something miraculous can happen, not every time, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I think that often God comes in when we're lamenting and He comforts us, uh, comforts us, even though we're still suffering, even though the pain of what's going on might not go away, even though things might, bad things might still be happening to us, we can find this, this joy, not happiness, but joy, contentment, to be had in God. And so I, as a church, I want us to lament because of Christian hedonism. because I think there are good things to be found in our relationship with God, and we don't talk about it enough. The other reason I want us to lament is because when Jesus describes our relationship, and one of the ways he wants our relationship with him to be, he says, unless you come to me like a kid, unless you come to me like children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a little bit terrifying for us adults because we're like, what do we have to do? But Jesus was trying to say, listen, our relationship, you need to realize I'm the infinite God of the universe. You are like a kid to me. And you just watch kids and they unabashedly approach almost everybody, but especially their parents. And I just think of my daughter. She comes to me all the time and she just says, Dad, I need your help. Dad, I'm sad. Dad, I'm hurt. Dad, I'm hungry. To which I say, I'm Dad. Nice to meet you. And then she gets mad at that. I'm a dad. I have to. And she just comes to me with everything that's inside of her. And often they are laments. And often I can't change what she's lamenting about. And I think, That when we lament to God, we are going to God like children. And I would love if we made a practice of going to God like kids, like his kids. Yeah, we might recognize that theologically, but do we put it into a healthy practice? And I think lament is one of the ways we can do that. So in sum, the reason I want us to lament, the reason why is because I think it will make your relationship with God better. Just like my relationship got better with my mom once I lamented and opened up to her, I think the same is true of our relationship with God. And so I want to take some time now to look at what does lament look like in the Bible? How does it sound? What does it do? And for those of you that would consider yourself a theological nerd, I'm going to look at three categories of what laments do, and this is usually what theologians, these are the categories that theologians usually use to say the different types of lament in the Bible, okay? So, first, laments, they're a form of protest. They're a form of protest to God and to others, but especially to God. I want to, for our society that's obsessed with protesting, this should pique our interest, Let's go to Psalm chapter 10 right now. That's not a knock for or against protesting, just so you guys don't be like, that crazy type of political person. Uh, But look at this this person in Psalm 10 and how it laments. He says this in verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Let's stop there for a second. This psalmist just says, God, where are you? Why have you hidden yourself? Why haven't you stopped these evil people? He makes some audacious claims towards God. He's protesting the fact that these these evil guys are walking around going, there's no God. God can't do anything here. This is crazy. There's evil people going around like, I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to keep doing the evil thing I want to do. No one can stop me. This person is protesting to God that these people are roaming around prospering. He goes on. In verse 10, he says, the helpless God are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. And he's saying they fall by the evil person's might. He says, the evil person, in his heart, God has forgotten and has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But do you see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. So the psalmist, he goes on and he's protesting. He's protesting the fact that God is just and yet these unjust people are prospering. He's protesting it. He's protesting it to God. Now, I know a lot of you want to protest things in general because I see your Facebook statuses. And they're of constant protest of things going on. And I'm not against that, but my question for you is just this. Are you protesting to God? Are you first and foremost protesting to God? Because God is really the only one that can truly do something about it. Now, I think protest can be good for us to actually change and do some things. So don't hear that. I think it's okay. But on the other side, I think sometimes we as Christians have said, you know, there's a time and a place for protest, and you better follow it. And I just wonder, like, what if someone in small group was like, man, I just can't believe God is allowing this in my life. And I just wonder what kind of person you would be in their redemption community. Would you be like, hey, man, this is not the time or place to lament. And maybe there is some parameters on that. But I just wonder if that's, the we say those things because our hearts say, man, I don't want to lament. I think it's too messy. I think it's too wrong. I don't think we should lament to God. But God says, you can protest to me. And again, please don't hear me. I've gotten too political here. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm just trying to invite you into this form of lament where you can protest to God. And I just worry that with a culture that is obsessed with either Actually, protesting or not protesting, that we've forgotten that we can protest to God, that we can talk to Him. Okay, second, the second thing that laments do in the Bible, they help us to process our emotion. They help us to process our emotion. Lamentations chapter 3 says this it's in verse 49 it says, My eyes will flow without ceasing. Without respite, until so the Lord from heaven looks down and sees, my eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. The laments in the Bible are very much full of, of people putting their emotions before God, being honest about what they're feeling, even if they're feeling them wrongly, and putting them before God. This person says, man, my eyes, they they tears are coming out nonstop. There is no rest for my eyes. I'm crying because of what's happening to the people in my city. And I want us to lament because we I think it will help us to process our emotions that we could say, God, I'm just feeling this way. God, I'm in pain. God, I'm hurt. Why is this happening? And I think very often God will come in and he will help us understand why we feel a certain way or what's going on. God, by the power of his spirit, will help us to process our emotions in the midst of pain and sorrow. What's so interesting to me about the laments In the bible when they're talking about their emotions very often the laments themselves are not theologically accurate like the laments are saying things about god that are that is untrue yet god he wants us to see him as a refuge and so we can bring our emotions to him god wants the rawness of our hearts So he's willing to hear things that are wrong about himself sometimes because of the relationship that he has with us because of the gospel. That doesn't mean God won't chastise us or correct us when we say wrong things about him. But it just means that he's still going to love us steadfastly in the midst of it. So laments help us to, to process our emotion. The next thing that laments do is they help us to voice our confusion. They help us to voice our confusion. This earth can be a confusing place to live at times. It can be confusing that that Christ has defeated sin and death already, but he's not yet come back to redeem all things. That can be a confusing time for us to live in. And in the Bible, one of the characters that voiced his confusion the most was Job. And Job's story is just a confusing book of the Bible, if we're going to be honest. Every time I open to Job, this is how it starts. God runs into Satan. What? And they have a conversation. You're like, what is it? Is there like a restaurant you guys go to? Like, what's going on? So they get to talking, and God's like, hey, have you seen Job? Super faithful guy. Great guy. Righteous dude. And Satan's like, yeah, sure. You've given him everything. If I gave him everything, he'd probably like me too, right? And, like, Satan and God have this conversation, and God's like, okay, fine, take everything away from him, right? And, and so then everything is taken away from Job, and this story of Job just starts off confusing. And what's amazing about it is that Job, throughout the book of Job, laments that he's confused. And before you guys start going, Anthony just, like, make, is making me doubt my faith right now. Know that the story ends with God saying, Sometimes I do or allow things because I know more than you do. And we can't know as much as Him because we are finite humans. And so Job, though, he laments, and some of my favorite laments of his of confusion are in chapter 10 of Job. And Job says this in verse 1 he says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? So Job is confused and he's saying, God, I'm gonna say it to you. I'm gonna argue with you. Why did you create me? Why did you make me? Only to oppress me? Job goes on. It doesn't get better. Job is more audacious in verse 4. Have you, see, have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as a man's years? That you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Your hands fashioned and made me and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that if you, you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Job is confused. He says he, he's bold enough and crazy enough to say to God, are you just a, like us? Do you have eyes like my eyes? Are you a messed up human like I'm a messed up human? Do you want to oppress me like the wicked want to oppress me? Do you want to hurt me? God, you created your image out of the dirt. Do you want to just do that to destroy me and put me back in the dirt? Job is confused. Job doesn't know what's going on. And so when we lament or when we're confused about what's going on in our world, we can actually lament to God about it. We can talk to God about our confusion. The story of Job ends, interestingly, it ends with God essentially taking Job and saying, okay, man, listen, I'm in control, you're not, I have my purposes, and you need to trust them. Not a great answer if you're human, but a good answer because it's true. And then what he says is he takes Job, and he had been chatting with his three friends the whole time. And these three friends kept saying, like, Job, you deserve this. Job, you're the worst. And they're saying, like, God does this and God does this, and they keep saying it to Job. And God takes these four guys, Job and his friends. He says, Job has acted faithfully, and you guys have not. And it's because Job went to God with his laments, and his friends went to Job with their laments. So God, when he says someone is faithful, he's not saying Job said a bunch of very correct things about me for 40 chapters. What God was saying about Job is he, he, he came to me in relationship. He has the true faith that I am God of the universe. And he pointed his lamentations to me. And so friends, we can lament our protests. We can lament our emotions, and we can lament our confusions, and God's not going to be scared by that. And God even wants you to, because one-third of the psalms in the Bible are psalms of lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. All the prophets, mostly almost all the prophets, lament throughout the times they're praying and prophesying over the people of Israel. And Job lamented. It's all throughout the Bible. And so I want us to be a people that realize that we can bring the rawness of our hearts to God. Two quick notes on lament before we look at things specifically to lament. The, the notes are this. is First, be sure or try to in your laments to turn back to God in the midst of it. I think sometimes we can just yell at God and yell at God and yell at God or be mad at him for what's going on and we forget his steadfast love for us. We forget the covenant he's made for us. We forget the good news of the gospel. We forget that he loves us. And almost every lament in the Bible does turn back to God at some point. But there's even one, Psalm 88, where it doesn't really ever turn back to God. So even if you're particularly messy that day, God is okay with it. So that's the first note on lament. The second note on lament is this, is be careful not to just complain to others. Because I think when you just complain to others, you're a little bit like Job's friends. Or you're like the people of Israel who complained to Moses but never brought it up to God. And they've complained to Moses and it was complaints. And yet Moses could lament because he talked to God. And so be careful to guard your heart and watch your heart and make sure that you're not just complaining all the time. Okay, so we've looked at why we should lament. We've looked at what does it look like. And now I want to look at some things that I want us to lament as a church. There are things in this world that we should be sad about. Like we should be sad about it. And we should bring it up to God. And so that's why I want to give us some specific things that we should lament in hopes That as we lament, as we pour our hearts out to God, we would begin to understand God's heart. That we would begin to understand God's heart for this broken world. And so I'm going to give us a few things here. The first thing is this. This world is broken. And we can lament that. We can lament the fact that there's disease. We can lament the fact that work just doesn't go well sometimes. We can lament the fact that people die. We can lament the fact that we have pain. This world is broken. God, in his infinite wisdom, he is redeeming all things in his timing. But right now, we live in the already done but not yet completed. And so in the meantime, we should lament that the world is broken. And part of why I want us to lament that is I think too often I just numb myself to bad things going on around me. And I choose not to see it for what it is, a result of sin and death. Okay, so we, we should lament that this world is just broken until Jesus returns. The second thing that we should lament is that we are broken, that we are broken. Here's what I mean. There's a verse that says, there is a godly sorrow that leads to joy. That leads to God. There's a godly sorrow that's good for us, and that's kind of a crazy thing to 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 think about. That there's such thing as a godly sorrow, and that godly sorrow is a sorrow over our own sin. It is one that says, "Man, I hate that I have sin. I hate that I commit sins. I hate that I am a sinner. I'm." thankful that I'm redeemed by God in a new creation, but I hate that I'm a sinner. I think, unfortunately, I only hear lament over individual sin from women in our church and rarely from men. I've had many conversations where just godly, God-honoring women in our church just say, man, my sin is tearing me up and it causes me to repent and turn to the gospel and understand the freedom I only have in Christ. I'm not trying to put men on blast, but men, we should lament our own sin. We should not brush it under the rug. We should say, God, help me. God, I'm sorry. We should lament our sin. I get this picture in the book of James where he says, some people return to their sin like a dog returns to his vomit and eats it. That picture is particularly graphic for me because I grew up with the Great Danes that did that. It was disgusting. And I just think of myself how often I just turn to the same response every time I'm put in a certain situation. That I sin over and over again, that should grieve me that I return to my sinful vomit. And I just don't know if all of us in the church are that grieved by our sin. We should lament that we're broken. And please don't hear condemnation in this moment. Hear a healthy Holy Spirit conviction that pushes you to live in your freedom that you have in Christ. I think we should lament because people are hurting and they're being broken more and more than you and I are being broken. Simply put, what I mean is like the Mortons who we've prayed for the last few weeks, right now they're in a scenario where they're hurting and being broken more than I'm being broken. They are seeing the effects of some physical ailments that more than I'm experiencing in my life and we should lament that. We should lament when people are oppressed. We should lament when people are hurting. We should lament even when people in other countries are hurting. I think there is a a huge theme throughout the Bible where we mourn with those who mourn and we weep with those who weep. And I wonder if we as a church could come alongside one another and truly do that. Could any person walk in these doors from any place, and could they lament, and would we lament with them? Just think of the scenario. Someone showed up to your redemption community and started saying some of these things like Job was saying to God. Like, God, where are you? Or David, like, I'm going to cry till my eyes fall out. We'd be like, get a grip, brother. But the Bible says, no, actually weep with that person. And I wonder if we could lament for the brokenness that they're experiencing and then we could lament with them. That we could pray to God together and voice our confusion or our protest or what we're feeling. We should be good at lamenting together. The next thing I think we should lament is that there are many people in your life in my life that don't know Jesus. That don't love Jesus. That don't see him as their saviour. That should cause us to lament. It certainly caused Jesus to lament. He saw the crowds and they looked like sheep without a shepherd. This should cause us to lament. And I, I get it. It's, it's one thing to, to lament over the stranger on the street and how they don't know Jesus and they might go to hell one day. But it's another thing that God has put people in your life who are your friends and your family and your coworkers who you love. And you won't want to lament the fact that they don't know Jesus. God says, lament. You can lament that. You can talk to me about that. And again, this is another area where I think if we lament over the lost, we'll begin to understand God's heart for the lost. The final area I want us to lament in is that many of you are heartbroken right now. And I don't mean romantically. I just mean I sit with a lot of you, and you just tell me what's happened in your life, and you, and you might not even say I'm heartbroken, but I'm just like, you're heartbroken. Because th- this random family member, or this friend, or this loved one, or this stranger even, hurt you in a way that you not control. And I just want to say, I think you should lament over that. Bring that broken heart to God. Bring the injustice that you experience and bring it to God and talk to him about it. I don't know what God's going to do in the midst of that, but I do know that his word says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And so I want us to be a church where when our hearts are broken, our first response would be to cry out to God, to run to God, because that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel makes it possible that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sadness, we can run to God because of what Jesus did. I love that Jesus lamented. Jesus lamented all throughout his life. There's this story where there's this boy who's being possessed by demons, and I think he's, like, rolling into the fire. And so they bring this boy to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, will you heal this boy? And Jesus' response is, like, not the one you'd normally talk about on Sunday, but Jesus says, how long must I deal with this wicked generation? I just imagine Peter being like, Jesus, chill out. This guy's got a demon. Like, chill But instead, I think what we're misunderstanding is that Jesus was lamenting. He wasn't mad at the boy for his sin necessarily. What he was mad at is that all humans sin. He was mad at that he once created a world where there was no sin, and now there is a world where all humans sin. That's what he was lamenting. He was saying, how much longer will there be wicked people? How much longer will there be evil on this earth? And then Jesus, a lot of what he says on the cross are laments. And I think that when Jesus is lamenting on the cross, I think what he's doing is he's lamenting so that one day you and I don't have to lament ever again. Jesus, one of the first things he says on the cross, these guys are playing dice for his clothes. And he doesn't say, angel armies, attack. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know that they're playing dice for God's clothes. He's lamenting the state of their hearts and how they just don't know that who is before them on the cross. He's lamenting that. He's not trying to prove things to them. He's lamenting that. Jesus, he also says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's beginning or he's continuing to experience the wrath of God on him. For our sins. And yet, he's also quoting Psalm 22, which is a famous psalm of lament. Jesus then, he, he says, I thirst. When he says, I thirst on the cross, this is also a quote of a very famous, famous psalm of lament. Psalm 42 Where this person just says, my soul thirsts for you, God, but I'm not experiencing you. So Jesus says, I thirst, lamenting. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is, again, another famous psalm of lament, Psalm 31. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm done, I just have to give you my spirit. I just have to give you myself, I'm done. And then Jesus says, it is finished. Because I think that Jesus' lamenting was over. Jesus' lamenting was over, and then he comes back from the dead. And I think in that moment, what he's saying, what he's showing us is this is the resurrected body. This is the body that has defeated sin and death, and I want to offer it out to all of you. I want you to partake in this. I want you to have this. I have lamented so that one day you don't have to lament anymore. We don't have a God that just leaves us here on earth in our lamentations. We have a God that says, okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to become human, and I'm going to lament with you so one day you don't have to lament anymore. And one of Jesus' close disciples, John, wrote about how one day God is going to come back to earth and he's going to live with us and he's going to create a place where there are no more tears, where there is no more pain. Where there's no more lamenting. Where there's no more brokenness. So in the meantime, we can lament. Because Jesus shows us that in this world, we can lament until he fixes it. Until he redeems it completely. And we can lament because the good news of the gospel is that you and I can run to Jesus even though we're sinful. We can lament. And one day... We won't lament anymore if we put our faith in what Jesus has done. Church, can we be a church that laments? Let's pray.